We're going to, so you see the, um, the slide there. I am who I am. Between now and Easter, we're going to be visiting some of uh, the I am statements. They're called the I am statements of Jesus uh, from time to time on Sunday mornings. As we were headed toward Christmas, uh, we saw the names of Jesus that Isaiah gave us when he was prophesying Jesus' birth. And those names showed us just how wonderful Jesus, the child to be born, would be. And now, as we look at a number of these statements, we move to who Jesus is from his own lips when he preached during his earthly ministry. So it's John 6. The bulletin says, and maybe up there, no, yeah, the bulletin says 25. We're going to actually start reading at 35, and we'll be reading most of the verses through 59, which is the end of John 6, end of the chapter. Let's listen together to God's holy and infallible word. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. 
This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in a synagogue in Capernaum. So this was a sermon, or part of a sermon of Jesus. So when, when we say, I am such and such, what follows are, are characteristics of ourselves, right? Like, I, I could say things like, I am a man, I am a, a father, I'm a husband, I'm a friend, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and, and those are all aspects of who I am, characteristics of me and of my identity. I want, I want you to just, just think for a moment about if you say to yourself, I am, and then think of the first several things that comes to your mind. And if you're up to it, share I am in these several things with someone close by. Just take a minute. Curious what everyone said. I'm curious how many people said straightforward things and how many people said like funny things that only like a close family member would would get. But not that long ago, um, I think it was in December, and I probably said it even before then. I, I've also said, and you know that I am a Star Trek and a Star Wars fan and a fan of science fiction in general. Uh, which also tells you that I am at least partially a nerd. I've also mentioned from time to time that I am a Lakers fan. That's part of me. And when I do that, I fully realize uh, the grave disappointment and even some possible disgust uh, from, from you uh, for being a Lakers fan. But I, that, that's a part of me. I am a Lakers fan. These I am statements of Jesus give us aspects of his character too. But of course, it goes so much deeper than when we say I am. And, and a piece, of, an important part of this depth is this. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 3, God called Moses uh, to lead his people, Israel, out of Egypt and out of slavery. And, and he spoke to him out of a, a burning bush at Mount Horeb, which most people think is the same name as Mount Sinai, which on the background for this sermon series, that's actually Mount Sinai. So God spoke to him, and when Moses asked for God's name, to give to the people, God said, I am who I am, and tell them, I am sent you. I am is really the best way we have to translate what God said there, uh, but it's really untranslatable. It goes beyond definition. It's really more God saying, packed into that 
word is I was, I am, and I will be. It indicates mystery, eternity, divinity. Jesus uses that same language when he's saying, I am these things. And that was startling to the people in his day because Jews were hearing Jesus identifying himself with God. And of course, he did that very deliberately to reveal that he is truly God, uh, which is a truth about Jesus that most people in his day could not accept. And that's the same today. Most people reject that in our day as well. And so there's this profound, deep background to these statements to be aware of when Jesus is saying, these are characteristics of me. Jesus is almighty God. And even as we focus on each of these specific attributes that Jesus gives us about himself as the second person of the Trinity, we're realizing In all this, he's revealing, I am this and this. He's God. What is he saying to us in in this first I am statement that that we're taking? For, For one, Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life because of how vital I am for you. He's saying, in me is life. He's saying, you absolutely need me. As much as you need food and drink for your physical health, you need me for spiritual health. Like a substantial meal satisfies your physical hunger, I satisfy your spiritual hunger. Thinking about meals and food, isn't it crazy how you can eat such a large amount of food and be so full And then you're like hungry again, not that many hours later. I had that when we were in Michigan with family to celebrate Christmas. We ate huge amounts of food. And then not that long afterwards, kind of sheepishly, you're like, when's dinner? But Jesus fills us for good. He told the woman at the well, which is just a couple chapters before our text in John 4, when you drink from me, you will never be thirsty again. And here he says, he who comes to me will never go hungry. In and around our verses, you would have caught this, that there are people with spiritual hunger with questions they're they're wandering around they're following jesus uh they're wondering uh they're they're spiritually lost they they ask um for a miracle of jesus when they just saw an incredible miracle the feeding of the five thousand and and they're asking question after question of jesus with the wrong motives. Trying to, they're trying to get something out of him. They, they grumble in response to what he says. They are bickering with themselves and with him. But in, instead of telling them to get lost, 
because they're coming with bad motives. Jesus is patiently responding. His heart goes out to those who are hungering and thirsting, but don't know where to go and don't know what to do. He lovingly tells them, and he tells us, I am what you need. I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Without me, you've got nothing. And, and this is what we share too, how vital Jesus is. And people may come to the church, to our ministries, with wrong motives, but we don't tell them to scram. I mean, let's face it, we don't always come with the right motives. We don't got it all together. I know I don't. We struggle in our spiritual walk. We and our loved ones wander. But the fact is, if people are here, though imperfect, we don't have to have it all figured out. They and we are coming to the right place. And like Jesus in our verses, as pastors and elders and deacons and all of us, we have a heart for those who are hungering, shortcomings and all, and, and we love them and, and we bring them what they really need, Jesus. And it's not that we don't serve people in their physical needs. We do, but we especially feed them the bread of life, what we all need more than anything else. Another thought about why Jesus uses this language. Uh, Jesus is also saying, I am the bread of life because of what I went through for you. For you and me, we buy bread off the shelf, right? But the people Jesus first spoke to knew the intense process that goes on to get to a loaf of bread. Wheat, most commonly in history, has been used to make bread. And today, wheat is the most widely grown crop still in, in the world. It provides 20% uh, of daily protein for about 4.5 billion people. The process, I want to I move us through the process uh, from wheat to bread. We start with wheat in the field, a, a ready crop. And that's kind of what it looks like. Uh, but of course, to get to this point, wheat in the field ready, there's a lot of work and prayer that a farmer has done, right? Even to get to this, after many months of preparation and growth, uh, the wheat is harvested. In Jesus' day, in some places still, they use a sickle uh, to cut that wheat from the ground to remove it. And then wheat needs to be gathered. In, in ancient Israel, God's people uh, were to leave some of the cut wheat uh, behind on the ground for the poor to gather up, like we read about in and uh, see in the book of Ruth, right? 
Then the wheat is bundled up, and those bundles are called sheaves. Then uh, the chaff needs to be separated from the actual wheat seed. So that's wheat. The seed is, the, that's all chaff. The chaff is the husk around the part that's inside. It's around what people actually eat. Then you, you thresh the bundles of wheat first, and that's like taking them like that person there, and you're hitting them. It's threshing. And that starts to loosen the chaff, that unedible part, from the grain, the seed inside. And as you can imagine and you can see, it took some work. It took some muscle. Then comes uh, the winnowing. And, and this is talked about in the Bible. It's talked about even in Psalm 1, verse 4, that Pastor Matthew is going to be reading to us tonight in his message on Psalm 1. So what this is, it's tossing up that threshed wheat with a tool, like a, a winnowing fork was common, um, to separate the wheat from the chaff. Uh, with the chaff loosened from the threshing, the wind would take it away, and the heavier seed, the edible part, would fall. So this, too, would be intense, hard work. Finally, getting this grain really usable, it needed to be clear of all impurities, and that would happen through a process called sifting or sieving. Then you're left with the grain that you want. And you can, in the lower right, is the finished product. That's, that's the grain, and with the husk in that upper left. Next, the grain had to be ground into flour, and that's done with a millstone. Uh, it's where two large, heavy stones are turned to rub together in, in a contraption that presses the grain into flour. This was usually done by hand, like you see here, especially in Jesus' day, or by using an animal like an ox. Later in history, people figured out how to get nature to do some of this hard work, um, like using water or, or wind. And, uh, you know, the Netherlands, and there are a good number of other countries that use these, this technology, but the Netherlands is known for windmills. Again, other countries use it. Um, and, and a windmill harnessed the power of the wind to move a grindstone that was in there that I'll show you in a minute to make flour. As an aside, this particular windmill um, I have a couple photos of myself in front of it because we visited it when Sarah and I lived in the Netherlands. It's a famous windmill in the northern part of the Netherlands. It's called the Hope. And um, one of my direct ancestors, Willem, and his wife and family lived in this windmill. Uh, they lived and worked there. He ground wheat grain to flour. He was a miller, but he was also a baker. So if you go to the next slide, that's kind of what, I don't even understand it, but that's like the inside of the windmill and, and the contraption and the grind, the grindstones are in there, but, but it's the wind power that does it, right? 
So all of this, and we're still not up to bread, are we? Just flour. But we're making progress. Um, There's the flour. Certain leavening, flavoring ingredients and water are added to the flour to make dough. And then there is kneading that ensures everything is mixed together, and that kneading also somehow adds strength to the whole thing. It's this folding, it's pounding, it's beating, they'll slap it on a hard surface. From there, you shape the dough. But before baking, it needs to have a rest period, and that's called proofing. And where it ferments. And, and, then, and then after that, it goes into the oven for however long, and then out comes bread. In ancient Israel, families did this uh, almost all the time on their own, individually. And for a fam- they say it would take for a family of five, the wife, who of course did all of this, that was part of her work, about two to three hours every day to provide a family of five with the bread that they need for that day. A number of theologians, and this was a bit new, this was new to me, and I thought it was pretty incredible, um, that they say, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Of course, knowing that the people knew what it took to make bread in order to say, this is what I'm going to be going through for you. He's headed toward the cross. On the way, and especially at his death, our Savior would be winnowed. Jesus would be broken apart. He'd be beaten. Strenuous events would happen to him. He, like grain, went through a harrowing process of suffering to become our bread, our life, to save us and to provide us what we need more than anything else. And and when he said bread, the people didn't think about a loaf of wonder bread on a store shelf, but this whole severe process and work that had to be gone through to get bread to their stomachs. Jesus' body and blood went through all of that for us. He was crushed. He was broken. And that leads to our our final thought. I am the bread of life because of what I have in store for you. And Jesus says, what I have in store for you is me. I did all that work so you don't have to. I was beaten so you don't have to be. Now you just have to believe. Just receive all that you need. What you most need is right there for the taking. I've done all the work for your salvation so you can just enjoy and be satisfied. It's as straightforward as as taking a loaf of the very best and most fresh bread you can imagine from the store or from the bakery and then cutting it and taking in the aroma and and chewing it and getting the flavor and swallowing and eating it. And Jesus says, just take, eat my body and blood. In other words, believe. 
And when we do that, he molds and he shapes us so that we have a harvest of righteousness in our lives. Righteous works because of his work already done. Until we are perfected and molded exactly how he wants us to be on that last day when the great harvest is ready and all who receive the bread of life will be gathered at last by the Father and enter into eternity. I want to conclude by, by thinking a little bit more about this stuff and what it means for our lives. Several, three takeaways. Some of these are, are, are questions posed to you to help, help us process today and maybe even in the week. So the, the first takeaway is a question, and uh, is Jesus vital to your life? Vital. Do you go to him to find meaning, satisfaction? Do you go to him more than anything else? More than any human relationship to find meaning and satisfaction? More than your, your work? More than your love for money, for food, for drink, for control? Depend on him. Go to him. Crave him like you would uh, a warm piece of freshly baked bread after a 10-day fast. And say with Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you. And then, and then, and then pour, we pour out our heart to him in prayer. And we then will experience how he, unlike anything in this world, fulfills our every need. Uh, the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon, I feel like I quote him quite a bit, uh, but he's a really wonderful theologian and pastor. He once shared, I have heard of some good old woman in a cottage who had nothing but a piece of bread and a little water. Lifting up her hands, she said as a blessing, What? All this and Christ too? So what Spurgeon is saying is that old woman in the cottage truly understood what it meant that Christ is the bread of life. He satisfied her even though she had nothing uh, but a, a little piece of bread and a little water. And, and that's true for all of us. As Jesus tells us, when we have him, we truly have what we need. Then we'll be satisfied despite any circumstances we might find ourselves in. He is our only comfort in life and in death, as our catechism puts it. So that's that, that first takeaway, kind of reflecting on how vital Jesus is in your life. Secondly, this all reminds us of what Jesus went through for us, what he went through to become our bread of life, his suffering, his beating, and crushing to death in the grave. Do we 
grasp that? Do, do, we, do we get it? Are you, are you praising him for it? And then for how God raised him from the dead to conquer sin and death and to give us new life so that we would not have to be crushed and suffer for all our many sins. Praise be to God. So praise him uh, for what he has done. Praise him in your hearts, in your prayers, in the church, in worship praise, and with every act of love and service that you do. Final, third takeaway. The bread of life is there for the taking. Nothing we need to do. Just receive it, eat it, share it. Have you done that? Through, through, through prayer and through meditation in his word, in prayer and in meditation in God's word, would, would you be able to tell that he is your daily bread and how vital he is? And, and if, if, if it would be hard to tell, what, what can you change? And, and how, how, how are you doing sharing this bread to those around you? How are you doing, how are we doing here sharing this bread with one another? Here, everywhere, uh, what can you do to share it better? What can you do to share it more? What, what can we do together to share it better and more? And this is what all people need. Jesus, the bread of life, uh, we can do without everything, literally, if we just have him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, uh, may, may we pant for you like a thirsty deer pants for streams of water. May we receive you, the bread of life, day by day. May we feed on you, and may we, we share you, the bread, with those very close to us, brothers and dear sisters, in this church and at the same time with all those we interact with when we're outside of the church. Oh God, we need uh, your help in this. Help us to, to understand and know better and know not just with our minds but deep in our hearts how vital Jesus, the bread of life, is for us uh, what he went through for us and to rejoice in what he has in store for us that as we partake, he's molding us. Help us to be moldable. Help us to be humble and receptive to the ways in which you're working in our lives through your Holy Spirit, God, and through others. And help us to rejoice and look forward to that great day when we will be molded exactly into your image in the new heavens and the new earth. 
In the meantime, O oh God, uh, we cling to your Son, our bread. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.